As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. today's episode of Android's Dungeon, a special guest in the studio, a magical trip to psychedelic garbage world with ancient Norse gods, I don't know, and maybe a trip to a non-psychedelic land of elf boys running around in the forest swinging sticks. Maybe not. Stay tuned. Welcome to CFRU 93.3 FM, broadcasting out of the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario. I am Jack, and I am joined by a very special fellow. Please introduce yourself. My name is Seth. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a very dramatic introduction. My name is Seth. It's like <laughs> it's it's the big reveal. Who was the man behind the curtain? Uh, Seth, what have you been playing recently? Well, in terms of board games, I think the most thing, recent thing I played was Scythe. Mm -hmm. Our good friend Joel introduced it to me. <laughs> well, maybe your good friend. <laughs> uh, yeah, I uh, I've only played it the once so far, but I feel like I'm already addicted. It is a so. Very was that cool the game. the one time you played it? Was that at the the boardroom? It was. Yeah. Yeah, and because uh, I was there, I was doing other stuff, and I didn't feel like uh, committing to Scythe because it can be a very long game, especially at higher play counts. Um, but how long did it take from start to finish? Do you think? Oh, probably uh, two and a half hours, maybe. That's not bad. Yeah. Um, and this is, I, I really enjoy this because I've just recently figured out how to play Scythe properly. And this is coming from somebody who's had it for about a year and just like, I, I just floundered and lost and didn't quite understand it. And now I, I'm consistently doing well without uh, like being too braggy here. But how did you find it? Did you find you did okay? Did you find you understood what was going on or did it, was it confusing as a... A newbie kind of going to this game. Yeah, you know, I think the first couple of rounds were a bit confusing and overwhelming. There's a lot of options, but um, I, as the game went on, I got a handle on it. I felt like I did okay. I didn't come in last, so I felt good about that. It's a big accomplishment. Um, yeah, I thought it would, did a really good job of making your options clear mm -hmm. and uh, things like the little slots on the cards in terms of the upgrades and that kind yeah. of thing. Those those mechanics work really well. You're not having to write anything down on oh, a yeah. piece of paper yeah. or anything. So. Uh, it does guide you along, I think, in a good way. Do you remember what faction you had? Yeah, I was the the Nordic faction with the with the Viking dude and the bison. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was Max and Bjorn or something like that. The fact that you remember the name is astounding. <laughs> I, was, I was very enamored with them in the little piece. Did you choose them or did uh, they get randomly It was assigned? random, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think their ability was that the workers can swim across... Um, yeah, and I made good use of that right off the bat. Yeah, that's a neat one because you, a lot of other um, factions, you're kind of stuck in your... Your little area, and if you're fortunate, you've got the stuff you need to do what you want. Otherwise, you got to trade mm -hmm. to get the resources. Whereas with the Nordics, you can just uh, put on your water wings and uh, swim across and start to grab whatever you want. So the the river walk ability isn't as uh, essential. But if you really want to branch out, like your hero can't do it, can they? It's only your workers. I think that was an upgrade that I got for getting a mech. So I yeah, ended exactly. up getting my hero unit um, mm -hmm. to the, uh, what's it called, the factory. Mm -hmm. And I kind of just, I got there first and then I held it until somebody came and attacked me. Oh, so. So somebody tried to push you off. Eh? Mm -hmm. 
All right. Uh, so what would you rate the complexity of Scythe like for, because uh, it wouldn't uh, stop me if I'm being incorrect, but you don't play too many board games. You're not, uh, like, you're not really a heavy board gamer. Right, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, I don't play them as often as I would like. Mm-hmm. You know, I have this grand vision in my head of owning all these complex board games and really <laughs> devoting the time to them, but I, I don't have that time. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, you're right. Uh, it's not something I do on the regular, and mm-hmm. I felt like I picked it up okay. Mm-hmm. It probably would be very complex for somebody who like doesn't play a lot of games at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I have some experience with video games and such that right. you know prepared me for that kind of rule complexity. But um, if you only play, like, checkers and sorry and that kind of thing then yeah it would be a step up from that <laughs> probably yeah <laughs> uh so you walk away from scythe with a positive impression is it the type of thing that you'd be did you walk away from it wanting to play it again uh, very quickly because it's because uh, i find that to be a mark of a good game or even for them anything that makes you think about it after the fact and how you want to do it again differently or oh, interpret it differently well yeah. now that i you know i kind of figured out a strategy as I was going and didn't have plans, you know, from the beginning when I was yeah. just learning the game. So now I really want to play and kind of know what my goals are, know what my options are, and have that strategy. So what would you have done differently? Oh, gee. Well, I mean, I think one of the problems I had was that I was basically just picking my best move on any given turn, mm-hmm. kind of on a whim, um, maybe thinking only two moves ahead at mm-hmm. most. I would probably pick a main goal, like a main path, right from the beginning and try to focus on that and ignore the other stuff. Oh, okay. So you're kind of, uh, you're splitting up your attention too much. Through yeah, the... I, I think so. Um, in the end, I I did okay, like getting a few points here, a few points there, and none of it was enough to put me over the top and mm. beat anybody. Well, it's kind of the trick with Scythe, and it's one of these, uh, I guess you could call it a newbie trap, even though it's quite easy to fall into if you're not paying attention, is that... There are a lot of different ways to end the game or get get your stars. Uh, Again, for people who may have forgotten, we've talked about Scythe a lot, but the the way the game ends is once you get six stars on the board, uh, that's it. Uh, the round end, or the game ends right there. So, but there, I think there's about ten different ways to get stars. I could be miscounting, but th- what that means is that you really only want to focus on six of those things, um, and specifically, you should be focused on the ones that are easiest and most profitable for you to be doing. Um, which means if you look at your player mat, you'll notice that uh, some of them have rewards for completing those actions, three coins, two coins, one coins, and sometimes zero coins, and all the mats are different. So you want to keep doing the actions that are getting you the most coins and also getting you the stars simultaneously, and you want to try to morph those strategies into getting other stars as well, and then you want to be expanding out, and you want to be getting to the factory, and you want to be doing everything within a narrow confines because let's say your board is you don't get any reward for doing buildings and so it's kind of like it's not worth especially if you don't have wood nearby too so it's just not worth your time to be doing versus maybe everyone benefits from mechs and everyone benefits from uh, some workers and resources here so it's just one of these tricks of the game is to figure out what you're good at and to go at that and then pick a couple extra to kind of work at as well but what about the objective cards? You remember which ones you had? Were they was it something you found hamstrung by at all? There was well, there was one objective card I had that seemed totally implausible to me. Like it, it was it was like <laughs> don't build any mechs. I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that because I won't have a mech. So yeah. I just ignored that one. Um, I figured that's probably a good strategy anyway to focus on one objective mm-hmm. card. Um, and that one, oh, gosh, I wish I remember what it was, but it was just something about like having a certain amount of money or something like that. Oh, and, that's a decent one. So that's, you know, that's what I did. I focused on getting money and I kind of 
cornered myself into a strategy of like, okay, well, I'm going to do this thing that gets me, you know, this resource, if it was popularity or something like that, maybe it was food. Uh, and then I'm going to do this other thing on my next turn that turns mm-hmm. it into money, just kind of back and forth. Absolutely. That's Feedback what, loop. Yeah. yeah. And um, that's the, those are the good strategies in the game. And there's also, this is something that's easy to forget too. And it's not intuitive for someone who's not really used to the game is that you can keep doing an action, even if you've maxed it out. So if you've got a $3 action, you should be doing it as many times as you can still because just because you're not getting a mech out of it, if you can, and this is the most profitable way to do it, if you can upgrade something to only costing one resource and you're getting $3 from it every time you do it, you should be doing it every turn you can get, especially if you've managed to stockpile something or if you're the Rusviet faction that can just take an action over and over again. So you just kind of amass a bunch of, let's say, metal and just $3, $3, $3, $3. And those are three victory points every round. So... Um, but you said you got attacked at the factory. Did Joel do that? I think, hmm. Or did Sona do it? You know what, actually, I think it was my wife, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's like, she knew I was an easy target. She went right after me, so. Yeah, yeah that's a, something else, too, that um, I don't know if you, did you play at the, was that your first time playing at the board? Yeah. Yeah, so. Or those, you mean playing at the boardroom? No, I've been there before. No, I meant Scythe. But, oh, yes. But First there time. was a big game that happened at uh, your workplace a while back, and that one was super aggressive. It was a seven-player game, and uh, Joel was saying how frustrating it was because uh, he was next to Harry, and Harry was very aggressive and almost pinned him in, like or pinned him into his own base. He couldn't expand out because through the luck of the draw of the combat cards and just the way the, well, the dice, the, the, the cards fell, uh, he lost his fight and he was kind of stuck in a bad position because he used a bunch of power, burned some powerful cards, and then there was no clear way to kind of move out. But it's a very different game and different player counts. And did you find five? Were you playing with five? Four. Uh, I think it was four, right? One. I think there, were, there might have been five of us. Yeah, I did, think there was five. Whatever whatever player count you're at, did you find it to be tight? Like people were always at your, uh, at your doorstep or did you find you had a lot of room to move around and you weren't really... Aside from the factory attack, of course. But. I felt like, yeah, actually it was a good balance. I thought it was somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be interested to see what it was like with one more player. Yeah. Um, I was also really interested in seeing those factions from the expansion. So yeah, I still haven't played with those. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's odd. All right, well, that's Scythe. Board game, good. Played it a while ago. Um, what about electronic stuff? I think right now I'm all my attention electronically is on Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. So how long have you had a Switch for? Uh, well, I got it for my birthday, mm-hmm. so it's been eh, about a month. Okay. Um, I've not had as much time to put into it as I would like because, you know, life gets in the way. So uh-huh. I'm not very far into the game, but I'm loving it. It's it's so it's so fun to just run around and explore that so world. So t- talk to the, the listener about Breath of the Wild. Describe the game for someone who doesn't know anything about it. Uh, okay, so, yeah, I mean, basically it <clears throat> is a... Uh, you know, action adventure game. You're running around. You're picking up uh, different weapons, swords, and boomerangs, and bows and arrows. And uh, you know, you're fighting enemies. You're exploring a big map and finding these different, you know, little shrines to explore and uh, solve puzzles, uh, collect uh, collect things to help you on your journey, and you know, increase your health and stamina, that kind of thing. You can collect ingredients and cook them into food. And uh, all, there's all sorts of interesting combat mechanics. Mm-hmm. It's it's really it's really in depth. They've made a lot of changes to the traditional Legend of Zelda formula um, that, yeah, add a lot of uh, a lot of new mechanics that I wasn't expecting. Well, we're going to get into this later uh, in a broader analysis of the Legend of Zelda series, which has been going on for a long time. Uh, but Breath of the Wild, when it came out, I remember just being 
people going crazy over it mm -hmm. because it was it launched with a switch right yeah yeah so it was one of these i don't know if you want to call it the killer app but it yeah was, you know it's, it's pushed actually, a lot of people it's also available on wii u which is yeah. a console that most people don't have uh, <laughs> the, the wii u yeah you know it's um it's that that tablet for the wii no oh, it's, it is technically yeah. a separate console but uh people were not really aware of that it wasn't marketed very well mm -hmm. um yeah but so it came out on the switch um that's i think the place to play it if you have the option because you can bring it anywhere uh, anywhere you want to go, you mm -hmm. play it on the bus, you know. Uh, <laughs> oh, man, can you imagine? <laughs> uh, you know, it's uh, if it's a long commute, maybe. Yeah, yeah, An yeah. hour-long bus ride, sure. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I totally understand why people were going crazy for it. It's uh, it's really impressive. Mm -hmm. And the uh, something I heard, too, and I haven't played it. I don't own a Switch, but uh, my coworker and friend does, and he was just crazy about it for a while. But it's almost one of these situations where you burn out on it because it's a, it's such a good game, or at least it. Uh, you're having so much fun with it for a while and you just have so much to do and you want to do everything you're running around you're just you could beat the game probably way earlier than you could or than you need to or um than you want to excuse me but you just want to do everything else and right. then you kind of look at your watch like oh yeah i should defeat ganon and <laughs> win the day or whatever but the difficulty i've heard is fairly up there if you're not you're not expecting some of these fights or some of these monsters, they can just sneak up on you. Not sneak up on you, but you get involved in something and all of a sudden you're dead and you think, well, geez, how did that happen? Yeah, oftentimes they can be a lot stronger than you expect. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've died a lot more than I would have expected from this game. It's, it's uh, yeah, quite a challenge. Um, but but then that uh, that actually just leads you to come up with new strategies. Say, okay, I'm going to come up on this, you know, this camp of uh, goblins or moblins, whatever they're called. Yeah. And uh, instead of just rushing in there, you know, I'm going to use this arrow. I'm going to shoot the uh, the barrel with a like an explosive arrow, fire arrow, and uh, or I'm going to sneak up behind them. I'm going to you know eat some food I made that increases my uh, my stealth and uh, <laughs> come up on them silently, that kind of thing. So you know, do all sorts of weird stuff like that. So. Um, yeah, you might die more than you expect, and then but there's always a way you can think your way out of it. Mm -hmm. There's this, there's an element of emergent gameplay sort of with it too, isn't there? With the fact that you can like start a fire in some grass, and the fire will spread to a camp, and yeah, you can like yeah, that is super cool. Can you like are the rocks that will roll down or logs or things? Yeah, and... definitely. So like logs and boulders, that kind of thing, you can push them off a off a cliff or just off the edge of a hill, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, they'll roll. The physics is. You know, I'm not going to say it's realistic physics, but it's there. It's, it's fun physics. Yeah, right? it's very fun physics. Um, there's some interesting stuff you can do with. Um, there's this uh, octopus kind of creature called an octorock. Uh, if you kill it, one of the items it leaves behind is uh, is this balloon. Mm -hmm. um, you can attach that balloon to objects, and it will inflate and float them into the air. Um, <laughs> so you can do all sorts of weird stuff, like um, you know, attach it to a rock, um, set it up in the air move that forward with your Korok leaf that, that shoots a gust of air mm -hmm. and then it'll drop on top of the enemies and explode or you know, hit them <laughs> on the head, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, interesting stuff. And that's sort of the... I guess when you give players this sandbox to play with, like you put a bunch of things in there and they interact in a way that you would expect them to interact, not just like, oh, no, won't let you put a balloon on the rock. Oh, won't let you put a balloon in here. It's like it actually lets you do that and then you can kind of play around with it because beyond just like the balloon on the rock like you're saying you can take the leaf and push the balloon using the physics of the air or the the way it's yeah. going to interact with it that to me that's really cool and it leads to these sort of natural sort of storytelling moments as opposed to the game really just sort of taking a, a, a shoehorn and kind of like look look it's just the, it went widescreen so this is a moment you should pay attention to versus you kind of running around and thinking 
oh, I see those the logs up there in this camp, and it was, oh, it was really neat how I knocked those logs down, and it scared them all away, and then I set a fire over here, and they burned up as they were trying to run away from exactly. there. It sounds kind of horrific now that I think about no, it. No, well, you know, it's all good fun. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that is one of the best parts of the game, I think, is that uh, you're not constrained by the encounters that they plan for you to have. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, one of the abilities you have in the game is you can basically freeze a particular object in time mm -hmm. um, so that for, you know, 20 seconds or whatever, you can hit it with your sword and a Charge whole it up with, like, force. With, exactly, yeah. Build up the, the momentum on this object, but it's stuck <clears> in place <throat> until the timer goes down. All of a sudden, it'll basically get hit with the force of all of the swings that you've done all at once and go flying off. Well, you can hit it a whole bunch and then stand on it before the timer goes down and then just you go flying and you, it, you know it's a way to get around. Um, you know, there's no way that that's the best way to do things, but it's a very it's fun. It's a fun way yeah, to do it. Yeah, it is a fun yeah. way to do it. I feel like um, the only other one that kind of comes to mind a little bit and it wasn't as developed as I wanted to be, but uh, Metal Gear Solid Five mm. kind of built this world with a bit of these these kind of wacky little little things added to it where it may not be ideal, kind of like this whole sort of like punch a rock a million times while it's frozen and then go launching yourself. But you can do it as a player and you can kind of lead to wacky, strange things that maybe it does work at times and you're kind of left afterward, you do it and you kind of say, oh, that was really neat. Yeah. And uh, maybe if you can record it if you're on the... Does the Switch have like built-in uh, video recording or so stuff like that? So it actually, this is a new feature that it got probably in the last few weeks. Mm -hmm. Is that uh, there? Since it launched, it has this button that you would just press to take a screenshot. Well, mm -hmm. now if you hold that button down, it'll uh, do a recording of the last thirty seconds of gameplay. Uh, so it's not maybe as fully featured as you'd like, but if you have some really cool interaction, you know, cool moment happen, you can probably catch it in that, that last thirty seconds. Well, there you go. Recording. That's like really all you need versus like. How does it, uh, doesn't the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One kind of do this thing where it's always sort of recording? And, uh, yeah, exactly. Which is the exact same thing. I don't know how long those clips are. But. Yeah, I'm not sure about the restrictions on that, but it's the same idea that it's always recording and then you can hit the button and it'll grab that last little bit of time. Okay, cool. All right, so we'll come back to a bit more Zelda chat in case uh, you didn't realize uh, we're both fans of the series and we know a thing or two about it. But uh, what I want to talk about is a flick that just came out recently. Uh, that you may or may not have heard of, depending on how much you pay attention to this sort of stuff. But Thor Ragnarok, the latest in the Marvel, McDonald's, Disney uh, <laughs> assembly line of superhero movies came out. And instead of it being totally generic and boring and like something you walk out as if you've eaten popcorn, you're going, oh, it was, it was fine, and then you forget about it later, um, it's actually a pretty fun, weird movie at its, its core for the most part. Um, but I know very little about the Marvel Universe. For me, it's just um, what I've seen in the, the theaters for the movies and I think the comic books I read, what did I, I think I read the Marvel Zombies stuff, which was terrible, sure. but yeah, I, but it was, that's as close as I got to reading any Marvel comic books. But Seth, I believe you are a fan. I think I, I remember yes. looking at your shelf and seeing you have a bunch of anthologies, right? Indeed, yeah. No, I'm, I'm a big Marvel fan. Okay, so I'm just going to say what I think, and I want you to uh, give me your thoughts. By all means. Um, I found it to be the, the parts on the planet of garbage, very fun, very funny. The characters were all strange and wacky, and um, the parts in Asgard were boring and generic superhero stuff. And I don't – John, uh, our, our coworker and friend – was saying how they, apparently they killed off the three. Uh, oh, sure, yeah. Just kind of like, choo, choo, choo. oh, they're, they stink. The movie, <laughs> yeah, right, spoilers, whatever. <laughs> um, which meant nothing to me. I just saw characters I hadn't seen in, like, I don't know, three years. Right. And 
Um, but I, I found myself laughing a lot in this movie and um, I enjoyed a lot. Of, most, I'd say three quarters of it I thought was a lot of fun and then a quarter of it, which was some of the generic sort of superhero nonsense, uh, was like, eh, whatever, take it or leave it. But from a fan's perspective, what did you think of Thor Ragnarok? Yeah, you know, I I think your take is totally valid. I, I can see where you're coming from. I, I really loved it. Like, I, I didn't find those uh, Asgard parts uh, boring. I liked the whole thing. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, definitely, you know, the parts on Sakaar that... Uh, Sakaar, there it is. It, yeah. Uh, were, yeah, the best part, and they were extremely funny and uh, uh, and entertaining. You know, um, all the interactions between Thor and the Hulk are, uh, are always great. Mm-hmm. And I think they really took that kind of to a new level in this movie. Um, having Hulk, uh, you know, talk much more than he normally would. Yeah, I was going to say, I th- he seemed, uh, is it because, was this just like in the comic books, or is it the fact that like when Hulk is Hulk for so long, he can actually sort of communicate more? Because it seems like I in all the other it, stuff, yeah. it was just always Hulk, uh, or making noises. It's kind of inconsistent over the years. Um, there might be a canonical explanation for it, but, you know, essentially Hulk has varying levels of intelligence um, depending on, you know, either the circumstances in which Banner transformed or like the length of time that he's uh, Hulk. I think in this case, my interpretation was that, you know, he's been Hulk so long that he has kind of, you know, developed the ability to uh, communicate more robustly. And so this was sort of, and this is something I read about, but it's sort of based, it's like a mishmash of Planet Hulk. Mm -hmm. Um, Some ideas here where Hulk goes to, gets trapped in space or something, or yeah. and then he gets sent to a gladiator arena, and then he breaks out and becomes king of the planet, and right. then he goes back to Earth, I guess. But Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. I really love that, that Planet Hulk uh, book. That's a great storyline, and it was cool to see elements of that adapted in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, like, a pure Planet Hulk movie would be very cool to see, and so we're not going to get that now. Like, they, <laughs> it, it's fine. Like, I really love this movie, but... Uh, it was, you know, there was just a few elements taken over. Most of the exciting plot elements weren't there. Yeah. Um, so you had, uh, yeah, for example, sure, you have this, uh, the name of the plant is the same. You have the Gladiator Arena. Oh, they use the same name, eh? Yeah, but it's totally different. Like, the, the situation on that planet is totally different. In the comic, you have basically this, um, you know, this evil empire. You have this king that's, uh, you know, controlling the all the little people. I guess it's kind of similar, but he's not running, you know... It's not the collector or the grandmaster, I should say. It's yeah. not Jeff Goldblum's character, um, and uh, you know Hulk has to basically lead this uh, revolution, become the king, um, you know, take his people back to Earth and get revenge on the Avengers who sent him into space in the first place. <laughs> um, so that's all pretty exciting. In this movie, it's you know you get bits and pieces. Um, the uh, the stone guy and his bug friend mm-hmm. Korg and um, I forget Mick. Something. Yeah, like, yeah, it was Mick, wasn't it? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Um, those guys are in the comic, and you know they actually have some interesting, you know, character. Uh, so they're not just like goofy side characters. Yeah, they? they're not. So you kind of miss out on that. On the other hand, I think they were really effective goofy side characters in this movie. So maybe yeah. it's worth it. I think I, I found, uh, and I may just be speaking for myself, but I, f- I found uh, spoilers again when it was uh, sort of uh, implied or shown that's like, oh, no, what poor Mick. And then, <laughs> yeah. oh, no, he's okay. And then it was just like, oh, I feel a lot better about this yeah. cute little grub thing in a nice yeah, suit. Yeah, I felt that for him. That, that, that was a really good moment. Um, I guess you asked your point about the, the Warriors 3 um, being killed kind of unceremoniously. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it struck me as odd. Uh, but I get it. I don't know that you would have room in this movie for long plot lines about them, and it kind of fits with the theme about, 
you know, Ragnarok and tearing it all down. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it's uh, it's kind of odd the way they handled it, but um, I understand. And one thing that seems strange to me as well is like, was Lady Sif not there at all? Like I, I there, she was, she didn't die on screen at least. Like was she not on Asgard at the time? Lady Sif, I, I, you're gonna have to refresh me. Uh, so she's um, like Thor's Asgardian love interest. And, okay. You know, this, uh, it's uh, you know Sif and the Warriors Three. She kind of like leads those other guys. Was she in the other movies? She's in the previous movies. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I've totally forgotten this character. Uh, I forget the actress like Jamie Alexander or something like that is the, okay. the actor who plays her. Um, anyway, yeah, did, just didn't see her in this movie, so I don't know what. Uh, and what there's no mention, is there? Well, I maybe I'm making myself a fool. I, maybe there was, and I just forget. But I this is the I didn't show notice. for that. You're yeah. fine. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I didn't notice. So that was a bit weird, but. In other areas, I thought they did some really, really cool stuff. Again, if we're talking full spoilers, um, they totally destroy the status quo for mm-hmm. Thor, right? Odin's dead. Asgard's destroyed. Uh, Mjolnir's destroyed. Uh, you know, Thor loses an eye. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the movie, basically. Uh, but, yeah, where's the character go from now? Like, the, he's uh, he doesn't have his hammer. Um, what's uh, What happens next? It, it, I'm very excited to see what they're going to do. Eventually, like, it's so iconic. Eventually, they got to get him a new hammer, right? Yeah. But, I don't know, but uh, you know, maybe he'll die first. Who knows? So okay, so we're we're in full spoiler territory because you haven't noticed. But in comic books, wise, um, he doesn't lose his eye till way later in the comics, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, then again, I mean, this is I have no expectation that this would follow the same kind mm-hmm. of timeline or plot as the comics. But yeah, in, in general, in the comics, you kind of see him lose his eye in the far future and he you know has both eyes in the present mm-hmm. day but you know that's cool i think that's a neat thing to have him especially he loses the same eye as his dad it's just a cool thematic thing yeah it's um kind of like going back to metal gear Solid again just uh when you did you ever play those series did you go through those uh, yeah you know i haven't uh, i haven't played them all all the way through but i've seen gameplay like extensively of all of them so i'm pretty familiar with yeah so it's like with um uh, MGS uh, 4, which was supposed to be the final game in the series, right. uh, Snake is running around with his, he's got the, the solid eye, which is just the eye patch, but it all ties into Big Boss from 3, and I guess if you want to go even closer, like the NES games right. with, with his eye patch based on Sean Connery looking dude, but mm-hmm. uh, just, it's always kind of interesting when you have the iconic character that kind of becomes the the father character, or it kind of links into the, yeah, the, the progenitor of sorts. But you said something earlier that I thought was interesting, where you said they've taken elements from Planet Hulk, and even as much as you'd like to see a Planet Hulk movie, you're never going to see it now because they've already taken the the elements they want to. And it, exactly. To me, that's kind of an interesting thing because... It's uh, every now and then you kind of get a taste of that when there's a, I'm not saying this is a bad adaptation, but when there's an adaptation done and they just grab bits and pieces and it's not enough to give you everything you want, but you realize that you're never going to get everything you want because they took the bits and pieces that would have been um, comprising the, the total work that you wanted. Right, exactly. You know, I can make my piece with it. I mean, that book still exists and I'll read it and maybe it works better as a comic anyway. You know, mm-hmm. they, they took what they needed to make this particular movie as good as it can be. And, you know, I think they did a great job. So um, I can uh, I can live with Planet Hulk only existing in the comics. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I really enjoy, um, you know, Hulk being this kind of... Uh, this king figure and then speaking and you, you don't really get him as a king you kind of get little bits and pieces of that and those are some really funny moments in the movie but mm-hmm. uh, you don't have the extended uh, plot that deals with that so yeah i thought it worked it, it felt a little long to me though at times did you feel it was a um 
Or, I could see that. I mean, I was I'm down for it, right? Like I'll I'll take as much of these movies as I can get. So I mm-hmm. wasn't uh, I wasn't really looking at my watch or anything like that. But um, I could see how they possibly could have tightened it up a bit. Yeah, and were you happy with Kate Blanchett as uh, Hella? Yeah, I thought she did a great job. Um, that was a really interesting like uh, take on that character. Um, and I yeah, I thought she was really compelling. Uh, you know, Marvel does have a problem with um, its villains not being particularly compelling. You know, Loki's great. Um, I don't know. Other than that, you know, a lot of them are pretty forgettable. Um, I like Ultron okay. Um, a lot of them are just like, it's the same powers as the hero, but evil. And then he dies at the end of the movie. Yeah. Know, spoilers for most Marvel movies. That's a good um, point because you kind of walk in and like, understandably, there's this meta to it that, you know, like good is going, good will always beat the evil in this. So it's the kind of stakes are already kind of low in a sense, but it's... Um, I guess it's about building the tension up to the final battle, but it is an interesting idea that um, when you kind of follow that, all of them are just, like you said, the, like kind of a, the stronger version or the different, same but different version of the the hero of the, the said movie. Like Ultron is just, I don't know, <laughs> he's just he's just flying around, I guess. Yeah. And it's well, it's, you know, I think mostly of like Iron Man, you know, the bad guy, uh, uh, Obadiah Su- Stane. Super it's, Iron it's Man. Just, yeah, he's got his own suit. You know, Ant-Man, he's got super, his yellow jacket. Yeah, yellow. Um, and yeah, they're, I think the issue really is their character motivations is are not particularly interesting. It's like, oh, I want more power. I want more money. Yeah. Um, whatever it is, it's, it's not very compelling. Um, Hella, I thought, was a really good uh, example of... Uh, you know, her whole story about the way that uh, she worked with Odin to conquer the Nine Realms and yeah. uh, and how she uh, was then locked up and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I thought that was a really interesting story. Like, she actually had um, some, some personal stakes. Yeah. yeah. Um, to talk about another movie, Spider-Man Homecoming, I thought... Uh, I haven't seen it. Yeah, the vulture in that movie was uh, was really good. He was like... He could have been another one of these disposable villains, yeah. but his character arc uh, was unique, and I thought handled really well. Uh, Michael Keaton obviously contributed a lot to that. Was he the being, vulture? Yeah, just being a great actor, oh, okay. he uh, elevated the role. Well, it's kind of you kind of got to go in two directions here because you've got. Um, I just remember think of the the earlier Spider-Man movies, like Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin. Mm-hmm. It's you wouldn't call him like, oh, his motivation's incredible. He's got such great means. But the movie is so hammy, and it's just like straight up like comic book, straight to the screen where right. it's like you can almost forgive it because it's 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 a little – I think maybe the movie's not ex- asking as much as a, from me as an audience or, yeah, exactly. as, or as a crit- with a critical eye versus some of these other ones. <clears throat> Excuse me. Some of these Marvel films now, they – the stakes are bigger, so you got to have these better villains. But they haven't gotten over this uh, this hump with the villains, right? right? Like you're describing, just stronger. Yeah, exactly. So I'm really interested to see, you know, how they handle Thanos in Avengers: Infinity War, which mm-hmm. is uh, coming up uh, next year or the year after. So yeah, the, is this like the last Marvel movie for a year? Is it? No. Well, I mean, the next one I think is Black Panther, which is February. Oh, that's next right. That's year. right. Yeah, yeah. And then I can't remember if Captain Marvel is before or after Infinity War. I think it's after. Mm-hmm. It might just be Black Panther and then Infinity War. Um, don't, yeah. don't forget, you got Star Wars. Can't have your other movies eating those. Uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So on that note, we're going to take a quick musical break, and we'll be back in a moment. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM. Uh, what you just heard was uh, On Demon Wings by Boren and uh, the club, the club of Der Gore, the club of Gore, their club of Gore. Uh, really, really interesting band uh, out of uh, Germany, can you believe it? Um, that have done some strange jazzy stuff. But it's, I came across that album actually listening to CFRU several years ago. And it was in the middle of the day, just driving home, and somebody was, some very talented programmer was playing that song, and I just, I, I almost stopped the car, just trying to like, there's no way I can miss whoever this artist is, because I need to write it down and get this music instantly, and uh, I think it's kind of become like just the pinnacle of new noir jazz for me, but it's just, it's so atmospheric, <laughs> it's just absolutely incredible, and there's, I don't, I was just checking before the show. Um, there was a fellow that did a show on Sundays, and I don't know if he's doing the show anymore, who used to do uh, sort of um, weird dark jazz, dark ambient stuff, but I don't think he's doing it anymore. But anyway, it got sidetracked. I'm enjoined in the studio with Seth. Say hi, Seth. Hello. And we were just talking about some uh, some Thor stuff. We've talked about Scythe. We've talked about Zelda. And I hope you like the Zelda chalk, chalk, talk, because there's going to be a bit more of it. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through the Zelda games. And we're not going to dwell too much on them because we haven't played all of them. Uh, well, I mean, I haven't, and I'm pretty sure you haven't played all of them. I haven't played all of them, yeah. Yeah, a lot of them. I think we both got a lot of common ground. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through and we're going to give our thoughts on the series because it's been around for a long time. According to uh, this list, 87 with the uh, Legend of Zelda for the NES, legendary game. <laughs> so without further ado, let's get started. Legend of Zelda, August 22nd, 1987. Have you played it, Seth? I have, yeah. Uh, I mean, I was uh, negative three years old when it came out, but uh, <laughs> I have I have played three. it since. Um, yeah, no, it, it's it's a really cool game. I uh, I have not beaten it. Um, it's, it's very tough. It it's is really tough. Um, it is. Uh, I think games were made very differently back then, and they kind of they really wanted you to all right get out your pen and paper, mm -hmm. make a map yourself, and figure this out. And so you really need to put the time in to figure out where to go. And what Which to do. is, you know, what it, it's not a totally unrewarding concept. Like there's a bunch, bunch, kind of a push on the with some computer games recently too. You know, get out your paper. You don't have to map everything because I think mapping is very tedious. And even though the Etrian Odyssey series on the mm -hmm. 3DS, you can there's the option to turn off the auto map, so you can actually sit there and do it yourself. But I think you have to be a madman to have the patience to like. What's the difference? It's really something I that mean, I if find that's tedious. What you get you joy from, right? Exactly, right? But to me, I don't get it. But the other parts of it, like taking notes mm -hmm. and actually thinking about stuff and having to put two and two together, like the old days of playing Mist and Riven and, and even some of these old video games where you have to actually link stuff together, like the, the Ultima series, um, especially the, the later ones like Savage Empire and Martian Dreams or things where there's keywords and you want to write things down and the motivations because the game's not going to keep a journal. It's not going to go, oh, right. you need to say this to this person. It just does no minimal hand-holding. But anyway... 
8E7, Legend of Zelda. I have not actually played it. Mm. I've just seen and read everything possible about it without having played the game right. to go in there. All right, so Legend of Zelda, legend game, legendary game. Everyone holds it up as uh, one of the pinnacles of uh, video game. Zelda 2, on the other hand, is a very, very divisive game. I was going to say, divisive is exactly the right 1988, word. 1988, a year later, uh, more or less, August 22nd, September 26th. Mm-hmm. Have you played Zelda 2? I think I, I probably played it for like five minutes once. I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and that's not a knock on the, the game at all. Yeah. I, it was, I was young. I, you know, it was my attention span, right? But yeah. um, what I've heard about this game really is that it is very good. It's just very different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have a side-scrolling perspective instead of the top-down mm-hmm. uh, perspective of the previous game. And uh, so it's a big shift. Uh, but I don't know. Apparently it is very good. I guess it depends on what you're into. But it's something I would like to go back to at some point. I think time maybe has been better to Zelda 2 than it maybe initially was. Again, mm-hmm. I haven't played it. Um, I've heard it is very difficult. Uh, a very, very tough game. I think the Angry, Angry Video Game Nerd did a great video on uh, Zelda 2. But I haven't played it. I would. I, I'm never going to. I, think I have no the, interest. I think it's a game that actually would be perfect to have a remake. Um, huh. The way that uh, recently Metroid Two had a remake with uh, Metroid Samus Returns or Return of Samus. I forget which one's which. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so recently that was remade on the 3DS, and uh, you know it was not just a you know retexturing. It was actually a remake of that game. Mm-hmm. But you know they took the basic ideas and presumably um, the basic map layout and that kind of thing. Whereas, you know what? It's possible. You you never rule it out, especially in this era of like remakes and uh, reimplementations and remasters. Because why? Like why? Why make something original when you can just? <laughs> but I mean, Zelda maybe not be the best example of that since kind of been remaking the games for like yeah. 20 years. This one but... though is you know quite different from the rest of the series. It would yeah. feel pretty fresh even though it was a remake. I, I think this is probably a game that most people today haven't played. No, probably not. And again, I didn't grow up in an NES. I didn't own this game. No mm-hmm. idea. So we've moved on from the NES at this point to the glorious 16, 16-bit era, Super Nintendo. Legend of Zelda Link to the Past, November 21st, 1991. Seth? One of the best games ever made. It's so much fun. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Everyone must have who played this game back when they were growing up must have this special place in their heart for just the the, the music and the the themes and the world and mm-hmm. it, this is the one you could argue Zelda the first one they've been remaking but to me Link to the Past the one they've been re remaking oh, for twenty years yeah. definitely this really set the standard and established the formula mm-hmm. um, you know it, it really is a a solid evolution on all points from the first game you know that first one. It, you can go wherever you want in whatever order. It actually has a lot of similarities to Breath of the Wild. Mm. Um, uh, Link to the Past really establishes, you know, well, you got to go to this dungeon next, and you got to get this item, and it's a great, it's a great formula. It worked well for many years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's really the one that set the standard. Absolutely. Uh, Link to the Past, we can all agree, uh, very good. How many different versions are there? The SNES version, was there a 3DS version of it? Well, there was a 3DS sequel. Sequel, um, but no implementation, like not a one-for-one, eh? No, I mean, there might have been might have been like a DS, like digital release or something like that. But yeah. uh, I'm not aware of like an actual remake of it. Okay. Um, now here's one, I don't even know what this is. BS, you better believe it, The Legend of Zelda Ancient Stone Tablets. <laughs> I have no idea what that is. 97. Release for Japan-only StellaView uh-huh. add-on. Similar to Link in the Past, but contain new dungeons and characters. Oh, okay. So it's like Link to the Past. Link to the Past 0.5. Very, like very odd. I've never heard of this myself either. Okay, so uh, 91 here. 
back to something reasonable, the Game Boy, 1993, Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, widely considered to be one of the best storylines in a Zelda game. I have never played it. I Well, no, that's not true. I played 10 minutes of it once when uh, with a friend's Game Boy. Yeah, so I started playing this recently. I have a copy of it on my 3DS, mm-hmm. um, just a digital release of the original game. Um, I'm not very far into it. I'm probably only an hour in, so I, I can't speak to the, the game overall, but it has a great look to it. It's a really cool way of using the Game Boy hardware to kind of get a lot of depth out of it. You know, it's mm-hmm. a limited color palette and that kind of thing. But well, exactly. We have to we have to be uh, reminding maybe our younger listeners uh, what the Game Boy actually looked like before color was here. But uh, very limited palette, you're saying. was it, it wouldn't quite call it monochrome, would you? Or No, I mean, I guess at that point, oh gosh, well, my timeline might be off. But I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure the Game Boy Color was out by then. I rem- you know, I know that the game does support <clears throat> color, so... So, 93, Link's, Awake, uh, Zel- Link's Awakening. Um, moving on, 1998. So, you go five years mm-hmm. in between Zeldas, which is incredible to think about. But uh, we hit the probably what people are really thinking of when they think of Zelda. Yep. It's either Link to the Past or Ocarina of Time. Absolutely. What are your thoughts? Are we saying Ocarina or Ocarina? I say Ocarina, but you mm. can say whatever you like. Yeah, no, I know. I say Ocarina, but we'll agree to disagree. That's fine. <laughs> I've, I've never had anyone take issue with the pronunciation. No, of no. I, uh, you know, it's fine. Ooh, there's there's going to be an Android's Dungeon fight today. <laughs> uh, all right. What are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic. Now, I actually, uh, my first home console was a 964, but I got it kind of towards the near the end of its life cycle. Mm-hmm. So I actually missed out on Ocarina of Time at the time. Uh, and uh, I played it through for the first time uh, on the 3DS, the 3DS uh, okay. you know, remake, remaster, yep. whatever you want to call it. Um, primarily the same game, um, some you know upgraded textures, a couple of uh, you know quality of life improvements. Is the frame rate uh, better? Uh, I probably. Mm. <laughs> I mean, compared to the N64, I expect it might be, but you know who knows. Um, but yeah, it, it ran pretty smoothly from what I can remember. Um, Little stuff like, you know, you can select your items on the uh, touchscreen, so oh, what you have equipped. So I know that one thing that people complained about in the first game is in the uh, water uh, dungeon, the water temple. Yeah. Um, boots on, boots off. Exactly. Boots on, boots off. Very inconvenient. <laughs> and here, it's just a tap away. <laughs> whenever, you know. Uh, so, yeah, um, with those kind of uh, inconveniences that I had heard about, not there. Mm-hmm. Can't really compare. But, yeah, I never ran into that, those problems. And, yeah, the game is amazing. I, I really love the the variety of dungeons and the puzzle design all that stuff is really great so for me this is like the the one I've definitely played through probably I think I've beat Ocarina of Time maybe three or four times mm-hmm. and but there's a you can see the link to the past to Ocarina Ocarina of Time and then it, it's, it is a direct sequel to that game because it follows the same beats of like you have three initial dungeons and then you have the bigger dungeons as the as in a different world or different type of existence and you've right. got a grander story and uh, Ocarina is more of a I don't want to. I hate this word, but cinematic. It's more of a, it's using the N sixty four to tell a bigger story than just the maybe the limited versions before. So it's almost sure. like the and that jump to three D right? exactly the jump three D did that. And it's also a little more mature, I think, like the way that they handle Ganondorf and uh, some of the themes and stuff. Yeah, in there's that. some dark stuff in there. Yeah, uh, Ocarina of Time, very very good. Two years later, 
still in the N64, but requiring the use of the expansion pack, which uh, I think sold, between it and Perfect Dark, sold copies of the expansion pack alone. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Um, Majora's Mask, mm-hmm. 2000. Very divisive again. This is, uh, it is probably the most mature of the Zelda games, and probably, I, I would call it the hardest of the 3D ones. Uh, it is very unforgiving, I think, in what it's doing. So this is this is actually pretty high up there on my list of shame of, of games I haven't played. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with, you know, the how the game works and mm-hmm. the concepts behind it and that kind of thing but I haven't played it myself yet yeah. um, much to my chagrin it uh, it seems really cool and totally different than any other Zelda game probably even more different than uh, Zelda 2 is I I think that's a fair comparison. It's it still looks the same and plays the same, but it's got this it's it's the the world feels entirely different and I think that's where it's it's a it's a lot scarier. And I think that's the best mm-hmm. thing I'll say because you've got this constant time limit the entire you can slow things down and you're not always at the barrel of a gun as far as like uh, it's not like Dead Rising where it's just constantly ticking at you. Um but the world and the mood and the theme of the everything moon. The moon is one of the scariest. <laughs> I don't know. What you want to call it creatures in yeah. in the entire series. I think if you haven't, if you don't know what we're talking about, just look up a uh, search Majora's Mask Moon. Yeah, it's a... and it's in the, the the Skull Kids theme or the music and just the. I think there's it's very difficult to feel the tension, experience the tension of when you're playing it the first time and seeing time ticking down and especially running around the village. Um, or the world when the in the last five minutes before the moon crashes into Earth and kind of talking to characters and just this this incredible melancholy from them is like the world's about to end. I haven't done enough, and it's like oh my god, this yeah. is this is a kids game right here. But that's something else. But anyway, Majora's Mask and weird aesthetic too. Very weird aesthetic. Um, here's where I start to get really. Uh, I'm out of my depths here. Game Boy Color, mm. uh, Oracle of Seasons, 2001. Did you play it? Uh, yeah, you know, I... So, Oracle of Seasons, and the next one you're going to mention, Oracle of Ages, they mm-hmm. uh, came out simultaneously. Came out on the same day, actually. Oh. Kind of like a... Fire Emblem type deal. Yeah, like, uh, exactly like that, actually. Or, you know, Pokemon Red and Blue. But yeah. uh, the differences were much more pronounced. There was actually two totally separate games. They had this really cool mechanic where um, you play them in whichever order you want. You beat one, you get a password to put into the other game. Um, and... Uh, I don't really remember what effect it would have, but it would, I don't know if it would transfer items or give you some extra rupees or something like that. It actually changed it. Basically. Yeah, it would, it would have an effect on the, the game. It would acknowledge that you had played through the uh, the other story. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it was really cool. I uh, I think I just played Seasons and didn't play Ages, mm-hmm. um, but I have really fond memories of it. I remember going on some trip with my parents and I was uh, spending a lot of time in the hotel playing that game. So did it have the same uh, feel as... Um like Link to the Past? Yeah, or? yeah, very very similar Link to the Past. Definitely following that formula. Um, and, you know, the big, the gimmick in those, in these two games is, you know, with seasons, um, you're you're changing the seasons. You're So you're doing certain things in winter and then you're visiting the same area in the spring or summer and uh, that's affecting the items you can interact with and that kind of thing. The central um, gimmicks of these games. Yeah. Exactly. And then in ages, it's a time travel thing, um, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, uh, I was gonna say no. I was gonna say like Link to the Past, but Link to the Past is not quite alternate universe yeah, type deal. This is this is more directly like okay, you go to the past and you yeah. know. Um, oh, you push tree over is, this tree. Uh, little, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. it grows up. I get it. Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, okay, GameCube. 
Um, we're running yeah. out of time, so we're going to blast through a couple of these. Okay. So Wind Waker. My favorite. My favorite. It really it was one of these, again, highly divisive games or super divisive games when it came out because people looked at the, lo- the graphics and kind of went, what is this? What's going on? And you're, you're sailing... And it's a very the entire game feels different. Yeah, the, one of the problems is that people uh, really wanted a they were hooked on the mature feeling of Ocarina of Time and Majora's mm-hmm. Mask. They wanted an evolution of that. Wind Waker is very like fanciful and bright and cartoony, and I loved it. And I think it's aged extremely well. Yes, yes. Um, and people recognize it for what it is now, but uh, it was divisive at the time. It's a great game, and uh, the fact that it's been remastered as mm, well. And yeah, you can also if you're really anal retentive, you can go online and. People have created custom HD packs for the the ROMs of it, mm-hmm. so you can play it on Dolphin and whatever and whatever yeah. way you like. Wind Waker, uh, Four Swords Adventure, never played it. It was a multiplayer like like you're supposed to hook up your Game Boy Colors or Game Boy Advances, Game Boy Advances. to you. Uh, yeah, this was uh, I might have touched this one. I think there was one of these Four Sword game I played. They they were okay. You know, it it was it is what it is. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, nothing. Uh, not a big main entry in the series. In no my one opinion. talks about it. Let's just say that. Um, then this one here, Twilight Princess, mm-hmm. uh, infamous for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one is being responsible for opening up the Wii to anyone installing whatever they wanted on it. Right, yes. And also for having this return to a darker or more, I, I don't know, realistic, if you want to call it that, yeah. um, aesthetic of the series. But um, I never played it, and it's still spoken about sort of fondly with people, but I don't, I don't know what to say. Yeah, you know, I played it, um, and it's a good game. I enjoyed it, but... I I really I missed the unique visual style of Wind Waker. I uh, I found it kind of bland and it's like oh it's kind of just a sequel to Ocarina of Time. Yeah. It's the same basic ideas. They're not really pushing the envelope here. So Twilight Princess. Um, then we go to the advance. Zelda Minish Cap 2004. Minish Cap's amazing. That's a All great right, game. Interesting. I, I feel like it might be overlooked. I, I don't hear Never people played talk it. about it yeah. a lot. It's uh, it also has some unique gimmicks. You have this talking hat in that game. <laughs> <laughs> and you're shrinking and you're doing all this weird stuff that you don't do in other games. Yeah. Um, but then it also has kind of in a broader level the same formula as Link to the Past and those types of games. So, so all, the, all the Zelda games seem to all rely around one gimmick. Mm-hmm. And it's like the entire thing is almost built upon that. And Talking Hat in this one, Sailing in uh, Wind Waker and so on, or Turning into a Wolf yeah. and uh, Twilight Ugh, Princess. Those, those wolf parts, um, So Twilight Princess reissued for the Wii 2006. I think that's another divisive port because it looked better, but the motion controls stunk. And, right, and people... that's the version I played. I yeah. feel like, did they not come out at the same time? I thought they did. But... did they? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. They, they both came out simultaneously. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess 12 days apart or seven days apart. Um, Skyward Sword. Now again, this is another. There's a great uh, image floating around of uh, this guy pretending to be Miyamoto and uh, joking about, uh, oh, you didn't like, uh, uh, you didn't like Wind Waker, so I went to Twilight Prince. Then you didn't like Twilight Prince, you wanted more Wind Waker, so I went to Skyward Sword, and you said you wanted something else, and just like joking about fans not making up their mind because Skyward yeah. Sword kind of looks cartoony, a little mm-hmm. more like that. But again, Somewhere I never. Somewhere in between, it's like painterly. Painterly, good, good description. Um, didn't play it. Uh, what did you think of it? I did. Uh, you know, I enjoyed it for what it was. It is not one of the better Zelda mm-hmm. games. It's relatively shallow in terms of the... There's really only three main areas, and you're kind of repeating things in the game. It's it's not very deep, but it is beautiful. Mm-hmm. The flying is fun. Yeah. You know, there's some good stuff in there. It's worth playing, okay. um, but it's just not one of the better ones. All right. Uh, then we go to the DS. Phantom Hourglass, 
from mm-hmm. 2007, and and we'll and I might as well throw in Spirit Tracks because they they play and feel almost identical in my right. opinion. Uh, 2009, uh, I played both. Um, I found Spirit Tracks to be a little annoying, and Phantom Hourglass I enjoyed more. I'd say. Yeah, so I, I haven't played Spirit Tracks yet. I actually own it, but I just never got around to it. But I played mm-hmm. Phantom Hourglass. Um, I thought it was really interesting, really unique the way they decided to do it on the DS. You yes. were moving Link around with the touch screen. You mm-hmm. would hold the stylus and he would kind of follow wherever you were touching. Yeah. Um, so it had some really like unique uh, gameplay mechanics. And uh, yeah, it really, uh, really was a cool game. Um, blasting on through 3DS, Link Between Worlds, did you play? Uh, yes, I did. Um, so that is a direct sequel to uh, Link to the Past. Yep. It's basically using the same world map. Um, you know, it's in 3D now. You have uh, some new mechanics in terms of... You go uh, flat. Oh. Yeah, you go flat against the wall. You, you accidentally said Zelda chalk earlier, and I was thinking about this. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. You know, you're right on the money. Um, become a little chalk drawing and yeah. do some weird stuff like that. It's a really cool game. Yeah. Uh, it's very, like, classic, traditional 2D Zelda. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, one thing to note, though, yeah. is that it, it really... It started this trend of, of changing things, though, in that you can do the dungeons in any order you want, and you can, like, rent the items you Exactly, need. and you could also buy them from the guy, too, if you right, didn't exactly. like that. It, it, which is always something I always thought I, I wanted more from in some of these games was the idea... Zelda was always... It was capping up my rupees constantly, and mm-hmm. I want I love the idea of, like, being able to actually use my money for something constructive, like bigger purchases versus just, like, say my wallet sitting at 999 and just, like, oh, there goes 100 rupees that I didn't use and just something along those lines, but... Um, Link Between Worlds, Triforce Heroes, never played. No, I, mean, I don't even know anything yeah. about this. It's it's kind of side game as far as I can tell. It's it's a Four Swords type game where it's a, it's a multiplayer focused uh, game. Okay. You have like three links. They're getting they're wearing different outfits that give them different abilities. But uh, it's, again, not really a main entry. All right, well that's fine. Uh, the exit music's playing. So last one, Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild. It's, uh, yeah, oh, what can I say? It's amazing. I mean, it, it's probably too soon in its existence for me to rank it, but uh, it's up there. Like, it's it's got that depth. I think it's going to age well. I think it's going to last. What I'm really interested in seeing is what they do next, because they've so radically changed the formula now. I mean, you can't just have Breath of the Wild 2. Um, you know, same mechanics on new map. They really gotta. You can only hope they'll just. They're gonna come back with a total. I don't wanna say total innovation, but they're gonna have to take what works, and you gotta pray that they they f- fix the stuff that maybe didn't or people weren't as happy with. Yeah. And... Uh, one other thing I'd I'd be interested to see them do is like, okay, we'll change the setting a bit. Uh, you know, in Breath of the Wild, there's a, a big aspect of it is this ancient Sheikah technology. Um, you have this little tablet. You're downloading stuff. Yeah. Um, I would love to see a game set in the height of the, the Sheikah civilization. Um, so it's almost like a Legend of Zelda set in the future, but, um, you know, it's still a fantasy adventure, but you have robots, you know, and that kind of thing. Uh, All right. That'd be a direction they could go just to mix it up. Well, take notes, Miyamoto, if you're listening. <laughs> this is what Seth wants. Hi, Miyamoto. I'm a big fan. I'm Jack. I'm Seth. Thanks for tuning in, and have a great day. <laughs>